Morning. This is KWAD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand. And today's a Friday morning, probably pretty close to Friday afternoon for those in New York and those in back east. I do know a few people back east, a few authors who are under us uh, saying good morning to Michael Ambrosio this morning. He's in Philadelphia. Good morning, Mike. And today we're going to be talking about publishing. I call this show Publishing Poop because there's a lot of a lot of junk going around. A lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of uh new stuff that's going on. And I'm going to talk about some of those. And today we're going to talk about a couple of things. One of the things I'm talking about today is something I just showed showed it this morning. And it's a new meaning for a pocketbook. What it is is called a flip. Flip back look. It's a short pocket format designed for one handed reading. Apparently, the Dutch publisher uh, had decided to change the format of the book. And it's kind of interesting because it's on very thin paper, kind of like Bible, Bible thin paper, like onion skin. And what that is is, is very sheer, lightweight paper, as, as you know in the Bible. It's very thin paper. Uh, that way they can get a lot more pages in a smaller binding. And uh, so they probably would not print War and Peace with this. And in my circumstance, it probably would not be for Baron 12, because Baron 12 is 682 pages. But anything else, it said uh, it's nearly 370 pages, Long in its original format, they now have flip back versions that that has more than 550, but still feels easily it's easily in the pocket. So they're saying that a 370 page book want to be more pages, but because it's thin, the paper is very thin. So typically, you print on 50 pound paper or 60 pound paper. Uh, I print on 60 pound. Uh, well, actually, I print on both. So it uh, does matter on the paper weight because it does make a bigger book. Uh, I was printing on a 50 pound and then changed printers because my, my printer, who I worked for um, and worked with for 14 years, had uh, gotten out of the print, uh, print book business. And went to a new printer and they got 60 pound paper. Now, what that did was make the books a little bit thicker. Uh, again, there's no, it's not that the 
any more pages because your interior is still going to be the same size. But it winds up being uh, thicker paper, which makes for a thicker book. And uh, most of my authors really like that, um, the speed book. Uh, it's a weight loss book. It, it became heavier, which is kind of funny if you want to think of uh, oh, what a gestures there. <laughs> uh, the weight loss book became heavier. <laughs> uh, and it, it came a little thicker. And so also uh, the printer that I had changed to is no longer UV coating on the cover, so it's laminating. Laminating is a little bit thicker as well. So you get the little thicker cover with the laminating and um, and you got 60-pound paper interior. Thanks for a thicker book. And say by how much well, uh, more or less about one sixteenth more. But it does make for a difference enough that is noticeable. Um, on the other hand, I have some 6 by 9 books of uh, Michael D'Ambrosio, who is a little more... Uh, well, he wrote a little more. He writes a little more. Um, his books are not quite 300 pages. Well, yeah. Yeah, that made it for... It wound up being more than, more than half inch thick on the, on the spine. So it's a thicker book. Now, the, the, the issue is that obviously it's a thicker book. makes it look like there's more value. So a thicker book, more value. So the paper that we're talking about, and, and also the difference on your flip back book is that it is written uh, vertically. So in other words, you're, you're flipping it to the side, and so the binding is is on the top instead of on the side. And how we open the book normally, uh, you know, the binding being on the left side, and we open it. This particular book, the flip-out book, is actually binding on the top. And it does kind of remind me a little bit of the a Japanese book. Some some of the Japanese books had uh, done their these type of books for their uh, animation books. Their animated books were sometimes on you know the bindings on top. So in other words, there's a lot more words to the side. It also looks to be to be about four by six size. So it's a smaller booklet, a smaller book bound just the same. It's going to be perfect bound. Uh, you still have your laminated cover, but you got very thin paper. And so the, obviously it's thin paper. You have more pages, but it's still very thick, very uh, very thin paper. So the, the idea is to stick it in your in your pocket, stick it in your shirt pocket. And that's ultimate ultimate thing, ultimate meaning of pocketbook. So I think this would be interesting. Is that Europeans are really taking this, and it looks like it says it's been launched. The version been launched in Spain, France, and apparently England was next, and that was as of March. And uh, 
Jemison, uh, she several books have already been uh, on this format. Uh, apparently, Stephen King's book *Misery* has been put in on this. So it's great for uh, you know. I think this would be really cool to have for traveling. Uh, as you put you put your, in your shirt pocket, put it in your back pocket, put it in your purse, easy. And then you get up and and you can read with one hand. In other words, you can flip it and you just it pretty much sits in the palm of your hands. So that that's great because if you you can sit there and look at it and. And use a thumb very easily to keep it open, not like the pocketbooks now, where it, it takes some dexterity to keep reading a book with one hand. So that's interesting. That's something I wanted to share with everyone. I had uh, just found that this morning and was reading up on it. And I think that would be really cool to try here in America. And I know the printer to do that with, so I might very well try that. What we're also talking about today is if you're self-publishing, can you flood the market with all of your works at once? I've had uh, a couple authors ask this because I have a few that are very prolific who just keep writing and writing and writing and and, uh, because they've been out of work they have been taking their writing by storm and are doing have a lot more time on their hands to do the writing so uh, they've been writing a lot and and, and ask questions you know why can't we put you know all six books into the market at once and I and said, well, yeah, you're self-publishing, so you're saying that because you're 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 printing, you know, obviously, I am publishing you, but you're putting some of the money into this. Therefore, you think you can go ahead and flood the market with with all your works at once? And I said, yes, we'd like to do that. And I said, well, first of all, do you have the money for that? That's always a question. Do you have the money for that? Yeah, if you had public publisher who was traditionally published, they're never going to do that because. You know, they have budgets. Um, everybody has budgets, and they're never going to put uh, any one author's work into the market at the same time. Uh, you're never going to have a publisher, even if you're in a different, you know, a couple of different romance books, for instance. For instance, in the same, uh, even if they're different series, they're never going to put two. Uh, books of yours into the market for the same publisher in the same month. And the reason is because of the second thing we were talking about, and that is creating fan base. So a lot of good whys is you know, they need to obviously budget, uh, second planning. You know, they need to have uh, your, your reviews, and they need to have um, the printing done at a certain time. They need to make sure that they're in the bookstore at a certain time. So you've got all the planning and the budget going on, and then you've got the issue of the fan base. Um, you're never going to want to flood the market with all of your stuff at once because obviously you want to make sure people are going to have money to buy your books. And if you have more than more than a couple at the same time coming out, 
more likely people don't have that kind of cash. And even if they like, love your love your work, there's no way they're going to buy more than two books at a time. I know even on my best times, I think two or three books, I go into Barnes & Noble on a Friday night. Um, I would, you know, come home with maybe one or two books. Uh, three on a very rare occasion. Uh, never more than that. So... And that, that was back when I had uh, was working full-time and had enough income to be able to support that kind of reading habit. Um, nowadays, a lot of us still have that. And this was before the readers were, you know, the uh, Kindles are really hot or anything, so um, and they barely started. So there was not that option of, of getting the, the cheaper books onto Kindle and being able to read it. Uh, you're never again. So you got the budget as the publisher. You got the budget as the readers, uh, who are going to be able to buy more than two books a year at once. Uh, they're always going to space it out. Uh, even if you have 16 books in your in your uh, books shelf uh, that you've written, they're never going to be able to buy all those at once. So space them out for a lot of good reasons. Uh, the other ones, the last one we were talking about was the fan base. Um, you're building a fan base uh, gradually. Never going to happen all at once. Uh, even J.K. Rowling took three books in order to actually really get to the point where she was she was getting a big enough fan base to support uh, even a larger book, let alone, you know, she would never put more than one out uh, in a year. Um, and they face those things out, and they uh, wanted to build a fan base that would stand stand up. Obviously, not not only with the book. We're talking about the movie movie rights, because by the third book, she already had the movie right movie rights for the series, but not right away, and needed to build up a fan base in the first three books in order to, obviously, um, to get those kind of deals, to get the deals for the merchandise, to get, you know, to get the, the deals that are cool to have. If, if we're lucky, uh, that might happen. So you're building up a fan base, and that's really important to uh, the longevity. Think of that word, longevity of your work. If you have a series, you build up longevity of your series. Um, I've got a, a series that's going to be 14 or 15 books, and so I would never want to flood the market, even though I had uh, the first 296,000 words already written. You're never going to want to put them all out at once. So I took, put out the first one in 2009, took longer to do the second one uh, as I was busy with a lot of other authors at that time building AZ Publishing. And uh, that's one reason I, I didn't get the second one out when I thought I would. I wanted to get it out at the beginning of 2010, and I didn't I get it out in fall of 2010. Um, and in hindsight, I probably should have made sure that was by May because I got laid off in June. So <laughs> so by September, it was really tough for me to do. 
Um, so hindsight, one of those things you, you think, well, you should probably done it sooner. And I, I should have gotten it out in May of uh, 2010, but I didn't. So uh, at the time also, my t hours were cut way back. It was no longer full time. It was no longer making what I was making in 2009. So that's one reason why I didn't do that. Um, and uh, it didn't hurt too bad because I even though I had people said, you know, you know uh, every convention I went to, well, when's the book going to be done? When's, when's the book going to be done? When's number two going to be done? Um, which is cool. But yeah, I should have gotten it done sooner. So you don't want to make your uh, readers wait too long either. Uh, if you get a book out uh, every season, and what I mean every season is, is if you can, get a book out, even if it's not in the same series, get a book out in the spring, get a book out in the fall. Uh, the book industry is built on uh, March being the dates, you know, pretty much the spring line of books come out in March or, or the, the, the names do. And then uh, it's always before the book show, which is in May. So to get them done in March, by the end of March, that way they're already printed and ready for the big book show in in May. And, and that's why those things are done a certain way. The timing is always critical in this business. And then, of course, we also have it again, um, the beginning of school year for September. And October would be your new, um, another new date. So uh, September and March are your print dates in the book industry. Now, I've got a lot of people who ask questions, well, with this new changing phase of publishing, do we even really have any dates anymore? I mean, does it have to be? Does it have to be uh, the same? Uh, was before because here we are new. Well, you're probably right. It doesn't need to be new. They don't need to have it in. Uh, they don't need to have preset dates anymore unless you're traditionally published. They're pretty much straight and they're, they're, there's no way to change that. Uh, I don't think that industry is ever going to change. They're, their, their colors are always going to be the same. They're, they're old school. They'll, they'll never change their ways. But what they will do is wind up having... Um, because you're, you're not traditionally published anymore, you don't necessarily have to follow the same path on timing. Now, what I've done is, is I've, I've based... Uh, my book launch parties. You know, in other words, I have book launch parties at conventions that I know are coming up. And, and it's kind of funny how it really does wind up being in May and September. Uh, it's really it, I have a leprechaun in May and I have coppercon in September. And I am going to be taking these to Tucson for the convention in Tucson and have a book launch party there as well, but that's different. 
There's no real reason there. By the way, if you like to call in and ask questions about the flip book or about anything I've said so far, or you have a brand new question on publishing that you want me to answer. Now, again, this is going to be every Friday at this time, and I am uh, talking about different subjects. So I'll have certain subjects that I put out ahead of time, uh, but I'm not absolutely forced to talk about those subjects. You can go ahead and call. Uh, the guest call-in number is 714-242-5145. That's 714-242-5145. That's the guest call-in number. You can call in, have questions, or you can just listen to me on Blog Talk Radio. And again, we are under KWOD Radio, KWOD Radio. I'm going to take a slight detour on that and talk a little bit about uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about creating fan base. The idea is that that you're going to create fans, not just and we're going to be talking about this over uh, few next few weeks, and I would love it if people call in and ask questions about that. Um, Create fan base. Uh, I think probably the best place to create fan base, obviously, is you're going to be with reader conventions. These are conventions where people are already primed to read. They 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 are long time readers. And it does not necessarily speculative fiction because honestly, speculative fiction is is, is a lot of different melting pot. Um, you know, so two, again, we're going to take a small break before we start talking about this. And I'll be right back.
We're live again, and this is Kay Wadrino, and this is Patty Holstrand, for, and I am the publisher of AZ Publishing Services, LC. We're based out of Arizona, around uh, you know, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Mesa area, so we're in the valley, and it's, it's stinking hot here, and uh, it was 105 degrees at 9 o'clock last night. Here it is dark and it's 105 degrees. This morning, thank goodness, it's uh, in the morning, it wound up being 88, which is really nice. <laughs> Others are saying, really nice? Yeah, 88 degrees is really nice here. It was uh, just getting light and it was, uh, it was already actually already light by uh, 5 o'clock and it was it was nice seeing eight degrees. Um, we have like a couple fans on and trying to get circulated air in here because it's already getting warm. Uh, have a look to see what the temperature is right now, but I'm quite sure that it's well over the 88 now. Um, I say it's almost 9 o'clock. Okay. It is at least 100 degrees by 9 o'clock. So by 11, it'll be up to 105 again. And I believe yesterday it got to 111. We also have a big thing in the news, of course, right now is our fire up north. And uh, is this not unusual? Um, but I am going to say something about uh, the, the new ruling in Arizona about the we're allowed to uh, buy fireworks, and it's even in Walgreens. We have uh, tents everywhere now that July is coming. And the tents are all selling fireworks. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. We're in the middle of the sinking desert. It's dry. And everything is combustible. There's no way that there's uh, no chance of not getting fire. And there's just people who should never have fireworks. And they should never have any any fire, they should never have capability to building fire because they're just too stupid and you know not make mistakes and uh, start a fire. Uh, their fire that we have going on right now is, is ruining homes. It's ruining a large part of our forest land, and that isn't good because you know we need forests and uh, Arizona being. A, most people think, well, it's a, it's a desert state. No, it's, we have a lot of forests. Um, we have a lot of land up north that is is all green. I know it's hard to believe, but um, it, it's only a few hours away from here, from Phoenix. You know, it only takes two hours to drive up and have uh, green pine trees. Uh, and it's beautiful up there. Cooler. When it's hot here, 1111 degrees, we enjoy going out north and and getting into the green trees and cool, you know cooler weather. You know, 88 would be like what it would be during the day out there. Um, so that's nice for us to be able to do that. Now we have to figure out where can we drive without without having problems with the uh, air quality. I specifically have 
uh, lung problems. So don't like to go up where there's a lot of uh, a lot of black clouds with the you know, worrying about where the fire is. It's pretty bad up there. And we pray for all those who are losing their homes and losing their land to this, uh, you know, to this fire. And uh, we pray that things will work out and that the land will come back fast. So, well, okay, we're back and we're talking about see if anybody's on... Uh, I'm checking on everybody on Facebook, seeing if anybody has anything to say. Okay. Um, talking about building a fan base and how you do this, and if there's certain certain things you need to do, like. Um, Getting reviews now. You know, I have some authors, uh, and I have some readers who believe, yeah, they need to have uh, reviews because you know people read reviews. And while that's partly true, I wouldn't really take a lot of reviews on Amazon with any grain of salt. If they, if it's a professional. Uh, reviewer, somebody who reviews a lot of books, and especially in your genre, then that's good. And those are the ones you should probably read in Amazon or uh, read on the author bookstore or author's uh, website. Uh, so if they're a professional reviewer or somebody who does a lot of reviews in that, in that particular genre, then, then I would read those. But understand something, that any Tom, Dick, and Harry or Mary can write a review on Amazon, and Amazon doesn't, you know, put put in there that you know they may be correct, maybe uh, these people may be taking vendettas on certain people, or they just simply. I have had I've seen reviews by just a normal, you know, run-of-the-mill reader who um, don't like authors because they don't write themselves and are jealous of the the authors. So they slam them. And they slam them in a very ridiculous way. I mean, you start reading a review, you need to take into account that, okay, how, how far out there is this reviewer going? What I mean by that is how far out there is is how ridiculous, how insane are they sounding? How petty are they sounding? Because I tell you, I I will shut that down faster. I don't listen to people who get outright totally petty from the very first line. Uh, And I might read what they say only because I laugh and then I just shake my head and say, man, they need to get a life. Because they they obviously don't have one because they want to slam the author, and it's just not right. It really isn't right. People need anyone who's going to take a vendetta out and slam a, an author for no good reason. 
Uh, if you don't like the book, then say, hey, you know, I think you could have been better written. Um, I found a lot of mistakes. Uh, you even put, you know, lists some that you found. Uh, but don't get so ridiculous with your uh, slam that you, you know, anybody reading it is going to say, well, this person's got a problem, okay? And your review is not going to be taken seriously. So um, think about that before you write a review is, for, first of all, says, uh, you can understand something that, that with authors, especially fiction authors, this book is their child, and you just not only slammed them, but you took down their child. And there's no reason for that unless you, you know, do it nicely. Say, hey, I think they could have done better. Um, I think the subject could have been written better. Or if it's fiction, off, uh, fiction book, I, I don't think they have a grasp of their characters. You know, sound professional. You know, don't get petty. So... Uh, that's what I have to say about about reviewers is that it, while they they can lead to better sales, um, I have to say that with nonfiction is critical, absolutely critical to have uh, reviews. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it because if you don't have reviews on a nonfiction book uh, or have a foreword in the book or have uh, reviews on your book, uh, actually physically written inside your cover of your book or on your book cover book, then your your sales are just not going to happen. Uh, with nonfiction specifically, you're writing about something that you're claiming to be a professional. You're claiming to be an expert. So you're claiming to be an expert in that particular nonfiction. Uh, subject reviews help you to to show that you know what you're doing with or know something about that particular subject. So reviews are critical in order to uh, get your reputation up. You know, give you credibility, as I call it. Um, actually, anybody calls it. You need to have credibility when it comes to nonfiction. Um, if it's just, but you know, a lot of people say, well, now that we can write in the Kindle, anybody can write about their subject if they know something about. And while I say that's true, uh, I have somebody who wants to write a parenting book where he has write, written a parenting, parent, parenting book. Eight kids. Um, he's had three wives. So he should know something about parenting. He should know something about uh, relationships. Uh, in his particular case, you know, maybe might be failed relationships, but how to make that uh, work in your benefit, uh, and also how does that work for your kids? So he might have a, a, a great subject; he might know a lot about it, but does he have any credibility? No, not really. There's no doctorate. There's he's not a psychologist. He's not a child psychologist. He's not a uh, parenting professional, uh, but he does know enough because of the fact that he's, he's, he's done the miles. So uh, is that subject that he should be part of? Yeah, probably is. I do think that there's some guests on 
the chat, if you have a question, go ahead and type it in. If you want to talk to me, we have another 15 minutes here. But, uh, if I run out of things to say, then I'm going to stop. Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to go beyond what I wanted to talk about unless somebody has a question or they wanted to chat about something specific on publishing. But uh, guest call in number is 714-242-5145. Or if you're on chat right now, then just uh, type in a question or comment, and I'll share it with the audience and, and talk about it. Um, if you even have a comment, it might be something that uh, I can talk about there. And I welcome that. Again, this is KWOD Radio, and we're here until... Well, until at least 9.30. And uh, so the question was the building a fan base. Uh, we talked about reviews, and fan base is not just for fiction authors. Uh, fan base is also for, uh, for nonfiction. When I get sales for the speed book, which is a weight loss book, and um, you find out on my website, by the way, at azpublishingservices.com. Let me type it for everybody else. .com book store, which .php. Uh, that's our book store, and... Uh, you find Speed, the Speed book on there and see the cover. Uh, he's got a couple reviews. And the first, uh, the cover has been changed a couple times. Um, and it's because when he had the cover, he, I said, well, uh, you don't have any reviews on this cover. And also, you have a little bit too much yellow. It's black and yellow. And well, yellow is definitely seen by a lot of people. I uh, said, so I think you need a little more color. So then he changed it a couple of times and uh, came with, well, we're going to put um, one of the reviews on on the front cover. And we've got a review on the back cover. And if you go on Amazon and look at Speed, it's S-P-E-E-D. And he's not talking about uh, the drug speed. He's talking about weight loss being people usually like to rush to lose weight. And what he talks about, what uh, Matt and Jeff talk about, is um, longevity of their of their uh, work, longevity of being able to lose weight. So that's what the book is about: permanent weight loss, permanent fat loss, actually. And so they got reviews. Uh, they already had reviews before they even came to me, before we, we finished the book and before we uh, printed it and got got it up for sale. But they got they continued to get more reviews. And so they have a fan base. So every time they have a sale, and it's you know uh, in printed book. Because I do our own distribution, uh, I can pull the, the address of the person who bought the book. 
and I give that to uh, Matt and Jeff every every quarter along with their royalties. <clears throat> that way they can put them on the list as a fan base and let them know maybe where they're going to be, other products they might have. Uh, they had a fitness center, um, so that was let them know <clears throat> where the location was, was, if they lived in Arizona, they could come and visit. Um, they've got another book coming up, uh, or they're working on this, a second edition book uh, for later this year. So that would be a, a second book to their to their fan base that they can offer their fan base. And, of course, these people who already bought book one may very well want to bring new material for book two. No, that's why they keep their fan information. And same thing with fiction. You know, I can I keep track of the fiction of everybody's. Uh, anybody who buys on Amazon, I have their address, and, and we can know who's buying the books. Now, with Kindle and with uh, all the uh, the ebooks, I I can't tell who's buying. I can't. I don't have address. I don't have names. I don't have statistics. I have nothing to be able to figure out. And that's because they're distributing it, not me. Um, and it really doesn't matter who they have that information, but I don't have it. And so there's no way for me to know demographics. Um, you know how many women over men buy. It. Any of those, any of that information is is not given to us. So it's kind of hard to, um, yeah, and that's probably something to think about if you are writing for an ebook only. Uh, it's kind of hard to know who your fan base is because uh, it's always going to be delivered by somebody else. It's their parties delivering your ebook, no matter what format you have it in. If it's uh, BarnesandNoble.com, um, they're going to deliver it. They're not going to give you that information. Uh, same thing with Kindle. Same thing with. Um, I don't think any other format is giving any information if it's distributed in ebook or not. So that's that's in the head. That's a, that's not really good because it's hard to build a fan base knowing not knowing who you're fans are. But what's cool is that if you do do events, if you do conventions, then you have people fill out the form saying that they like more information or that they buy your book and then you have their name and you get information to send a newsletter. That way you're building your ebook, um your I'm sorry, your ebook. You're selling, you're um, building your email list, which is really important in building a fan base. So we have that. We've got the building of the fan base. You do conventions. You're going to want to take some free books. You're going to take some booklets, and what I call chapter booklets, which are booklets that people buy. That, that you take to conventions and events about your book. Um, 
Okay, we have another guest uh, logged in. If you have any questions or answers or comments on anything they said or any other subject, go ahead and you can type it in the chat. Or let me see. Got a different switchboard here. You can check. Okay. And new switchboards. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not missing anyone. Not sure if they it's in beta. And I'm not sure whether or not it's totally working. <laughs> so if I'm missing anybody, I apologize. I just I really don't see you on here. Um, I see a few people chat. I'm chat coming in and out, and I do hear some clicks, so we have some people listening, but I can't see you on the switchboard, so I apologize if you if you are trying to get in. Again, the guest's call-in number is 714-242-5145. If you don't, you don't have this information, um, I am going to put it on... On Facebook, uh, and that way, uh, again, I'm going to be here every Friday uh, in the morning. It's in the morning for us. It's now afternoon for that east. Yeah, and again, this uh, 8:30 based on the Arizona time. Arizona is one of those weird states. Okay, we're the only weird state apparently, <laughs> because we don't change our to daylight savings time. We don't change our clock at all. Uh, Again, as you know, it gets uh, light at five o'clock in the morning and it gets dark at uh, 7.30 at night, 7.30 o'clock, so we don't need to change our clock. Uh, sun comes uh, comes up and sets at just the right time here, so there's no need for us to be moving the clock. So we don't. So unfortunately, we have to figure out when time uh, is everything else. But uh, that's something you have to do when you're when you're doing radio shows and when you're doing you know, you're calling back east and trying to figure out uh, what time everybody is. Um, okay, anybody on Facebook? We're talking about building a fan base. Anybody have any questions on building a fan base? I just say that most of my fan base um, has been. Uh, I write romance, but for some reason, uh, most of my fans are male, and I didn't really realize it until my partner uh, pointed this out, but said that most of my fans are engineers, (laughs) male engineers. And I I said, whoa, I I didn't (laughs) realize uh, I didn't see that. There was, I didn't see the correlation there. So you need to analyze who your fans are, who's reading your material. That you know, uh, one book. It's kind of hard to uh, figure out whether not they're truly fans or they're simply reading your subject matter. But um, I have three books now, and I've got certain people who have 
spot, every book. And uh, and, and talk to me about the book specifically, um, where I got my idea of time travel, um, and why I chose the India region. Uh, it's kind of funny how that, that worked out, but it's, you find out who your fans are when they started talking. You were mentioning how the Huey helicopter is... Uh, no longer going to be made. They're phasing that completely out. And so whatever's left out there is what's left. And it's a real shame because your helicopter is so cool. And that's workhorses, you know. And uh, anyway, I used a Huey helicopter for uh, two of them in the book, uh, Time Travel. And yes, the Huey helicopters uh, made... Actually, three of them went through the time rift. One of them went down, and so they used that one for parts for the other two. And uh, the other two are, yes, they are in the 15th century. They're, they're late 1500s, 15th century, sorry about that, 16th century. Late 1500s, and so it's kind of fun to utilize that. Anyway, we were talking one night about how the Hewitt helicopter, they're phasing that out and, and all this, and and I said, oh, man, you know, they were such great little workhorses. And um, uh, one of my group members was sitting around dinner, and he says, he looks at me and says, yeah, you have you got a Huey helicopter in your book. So I guess you would do that. I said, that was so cool because that means that, you know, they definitely, uh, they ready to up. So, <laughs> so it's kind of cool when that happens. It, it's, I, can't even, I can't even describe that feeling. And I, some authors who have had the people come up and they talk to you about your book. And, and it's just not, there's, it's like talking about your child when your child does something cool and, and, and you're proud of uh, or her. You're proud of your child, and so you beam. You you're happy. It just it makes you happy to talk about your child, and the same thing happens with books. Uh, your book is your child, and you're excited when you can talk about your child. Uh, so they bring the the subject up, and and you're reminded. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's part of the book. That's part of my child, and. Yes, I'm proud of my child, and and I'll sit there and talk about my child for a while. Uh, and so that is really cool when you see that happen. It, it's there's nothing like it. Probably the next cool thing I think for most uh, authors is when they sign the book. Um, so that's that's the second coolest thing is when you when you autograph a book for somebody. Uh, there's no greater feeling than that. But I could sit there and talk about, you know, the books uh, with anybody. Uh, but if if they've read the books, it's so much cooler, so much cooler. So with that, it's important to fill, build a fan base, um, a, no matter whether you're fiction or nonfiction. But for fiction, uh, fan base is actually critical. Uh, with with nonfiction, your view your views are critical. Uh, I do have people say, well, you got to have even more reviews for fiction. 
I'm not sure that's true because you're not really building credibility. You're you're building a fan base. It's two different things. Uh, so you're building a fan base and you want you want to make sure that you uh, remember your fans when you're uh, going to conventions, when you're going to events, uh, you're talking about the book, uh, you're talking about you, and, and uh, if you have a lot of fans who are authors, uh, then they want to know how did you do it? How did you write that? Those? How did you write those books? One of the biggest things ever asked of me is is obviously, well, how do I write? Do I write uh, freehand? Do I write on pad or paper? Do I write in the computer? Or, or how do I go about it? Because everybody wants to know. Kind of like uh, when when you lose forty pounds. Everybody around you says, well, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you lose your 40 pounds? Because they want to lose 40 pounds too. Um, so the same thing with writing. Everybody wants to know, okay, well, how do you do that? says, yeah, I'm writing, writing but it's, how, how do you do it? Because I want to know how you do it. Do you do an outline or do you just uh, you write scenes out? Or how do you do it? Because, you know, they're always thinking that there's a better, easier way to do it when, honestly, you need to find your own way. But we'll talk about that writing process next time and how to find your way of writing. There's there's a lot of them out there. And you need to try different ones and in order to find what makes what's comfortable for you. And not every book's going to be the same. Uh, you might be find one that winds up being written in a completely different format than what you're used to and style. So you got to try things. You've got to uh, figure out what's make what's comfortable for you. And just get out to the most important things. Obviously, writing. You just got to get out and write. And I I sit there and tell people this all the time. You get out there and write some way. Neil Gaiman says, well, you you can't be a writer unless you write. You can't be a writer unless you read. And and both of those are true. And I'm not talking about reading, um, you know, people in your uh, neighborhood who, who say they're writers but have never gotten their work edited. No, I'm talking about uh, finding uh, reading that maybe is even outside your genre uh, I suggested this to uh, one of my most prolific authors, Charles Burgess. I said, that you, you know, you need to read outside your comfort zone. Read something else because it gives you a whole new perspective of, of, of writing based on a whole different style. And what he's done, he's read uh, outside of his area and it has made for very interesting uh, style changes in his writing that I wouldn't have counted on before. Now he writes completely different stories. Um, so it's interesting how reading other people's work, uh, reading good books uh, written by uh, even traditionally published uh, authors, 
uh, go and find some authors that you want to read and and learn from their experience. Decipher how they're writing. Decipher how it's the the story progresses. Decipher how the style they're writing, whether it's first person or third person. You really need to, the only way to learn how to write is to not only read, but also to discern and uh, digest, so to speak, digest other people's works. Figure out how they did it. Read Hemingway, because he's completely different than a lot of other authors. So find something and then and then try your style. You know, try writing in that style just to try it. Now understand that everything you write is going to be gold and that you need to sell it. So I can't tell, stress out enough, not everything you write should be sold. Sometimes you just need to write in order to, first of all, continue to write and get better. But also sometimes just for practice. To try out a style that you wouldn't, you're not cut would no longer be comfortable with um, or can handle, really. But let's say not everybody can write like Hemingway. But you can try it. You might surprise yourself. Now, you're going to think it's good, but sometimes that's not true. Sometimes just, you're just trying to practice. And so the two things that need to happen is you need to read a lot and you need to decipher and, and try out new things and see whether or not that's comfortable, that style is comfortable for you, and, and you might find out you really love something. Mystery might be your thing, you didn't even know it. Maybe you start writing like Ag- Agatha Christie, and you never never considered that. So you never know until you try it. Well, it looks like I've got a neighbor who's getting a little loud, and I have people who are coming in and out of our uh, chat, but nobody is saying anything. Uh, again, I guess Colin, and I'm giving you guys, uh, I'm going to put some music on, and you guys got two minutes to give me a call. The number is 714-242-5145, or log in at the chat and leave a comment or question. Otherwise, I'm done for the day, guys. Here's the music, and then um, I come back on, and if somebody has something, then I'll ask it or comment. Please share it. 714-242-5145 or we're KWAD Radio on blogtalkradio.com
This is Kate Wad Radio. This is Patty Holstrian. And I'm going to double check with our Facebook friends, but I don't see any new logins. Also, don't see any new calls. So, again, your guest call in number is 714-242-5145. Otherwise, I'll be signing off early. I don't want to go beyond the three subjects that we had. So if anybody has anything to comment or anything to say or any questions, please call in now. So we just to recap, we talked about today was the if you should flood the market with all your works at once and wise. The answer in short form was no, you shouldn't. Because again, uh, you have budgets to think about. You also have budgets on readers' parts to think about because they're never going to be able to buy really more than one or two books a year at once, especially in this market and in this economy. Also, the fact that it goes into the second one, which is creating fan base, and you do this and you know slow progression. Uh, you want it two books a year to uh, keep the reader going and to keep them reading your work. So part of a, you know, that's part of what you need to do in order to uh, build that fan base is to keep the fans and keep wetting their appetite for more of your work by putting a book in uh, once or twice a year. Uh, right now, Time Conquers All, the the Chasing Time series. Um, I had Rescue and Time out September 2010, and Battle for Time I put out for the May Leprechaun and Book March Party for Leprechaun. So that came out this last May, and then. Uh, Spirited Away from Time with this book four of the Chasing Time series is coming out for September, and that'll be for the convention in September. And then I won't put on another one until uh, beginning of the year again. Um, perhaps it um, might be in February for the big book show we have in Arizona down in Tucson. So I might do one for the, for that time, and that way it'll again will be before um, the May Epicon. So uh, you got to have a book that you're going to put out pretty steadily, and you keep going. I'm already done with the original 296,000 words, so now I have to write a new material. And book five is pretty much only written, and of course. So six, seven, and uh, eight, and I haven't started, but nine, I have. So that's something you have to keep. If you're going to have a series, how are you going to organize the books when they and when they need to come out, and how they can come out, and whether or not you're going to have the material, and whether it's going to be written well enough um, to stand the test of time for your series. 
And that, again, is also another way to build your fan base. Listen to fans as well as those things that tell you where you messed up, which is awful to hear, but unfortunate and necessary. Uh, one one key thing that I want to leave everybody with tonight, uh, today is that if at all possible, if you have a series, if at all possible, try to have the same editor. Uh, if you're traditionally published, sometimes it's hard to do that. Um, publishers would really you come and go, so you would think, well, if I have uh, traditionally published or one publisher, you would think that you would have the same editor. That's not true. But in my particular case, I have a freelance editor that I've used for uh, all three of the books and into the fourth one. She's already got fourth one and she's working on that one. It helps because then they already know your story. Uh, they can tell you your weaknesses and your strengths and they will know better than you do even because you know, I haven't read this material for a while. So she actually knows the stories <laughs> better than I do. So that's what I'm going to leave you with and until next Friday with uh, our story, Publishing Poop from a publisher. And this is Patty Holstrand signing off. You have a great weekend. Okay, Wad Radio. Goodbye.